<clears throat> Oftentimes we think, brethren and sisters, that it's only our modern age that has to cope with pressures and with burdens. But I would want to remind you again this evening that the New Testament church in its infancy also had to deal with immense problems and huge burdens that the individual Christians had to carry. The, the believers of all ages know what it is to be bowed down, bowed down with the trials and with the troubles of this weary wilderness through which we're called to sojourn. The cares of earth sometimes seem to so press us down that we despair even of life itself. Perhaps you've been there. Perhaps you've felt that great burden pressing down upon you. We, we feel like the, the psalmist that we sang about this morning in Psalm 139, as if we would sprout wings and if we could get away anywhere, we would go to the very uttermost part of the earth to get away from our burdens and our problems that oppress us and trouble us. Martin Luther, that great Protestant reformer, in his table talk, he liked to illustrate it by using nature. And he talked about Dr. Sparrow and Dr. Thrush and the many things that he was able to learn from them and how they seemed to cope with the, with the burdens and the problems in a so much easier way. And he used to envy them because they seemed to be so carefree and they seem to have such a happy life to live. Maybe that's your circumstances tonight. You're looking at everybody else's life. You're looking at Dr. Thrush and Dr. Sparrow, and you're thinking, if I only could live what they are living, I would have a very different experience and a very different life. And you're weighed down with the cares of earth and time, and you wish you could take flight and get away from it. If such be the case, let me reassure you, God has a cure for earth's care. And God's cure for earth's care is found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Heaven's remedy for this ancient malady of mankind is outlined very simply in our text. And I just want to take it tonight and apply it in a very practical, experiential manner to the hearts and lives of all, saved and unsaved, that are gathered into the service tonight. And I just want to bring this word to you and to reassure you tonight, whatever you have to face today or the week that lies ahead, that heaven has a cure for your care. First of all, consider with me tonight the substitute for care. God has an alternative. There is a substitute for the care and the pressures that press down upon you. Look at verse 6. It says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. Now I think to get the true meaning of the text, we have to differentiate between the care of diligence, which is our duty, and the care of diffidence, which is a sin. Now let me explain. The word careful does not mean that we should be careless. When it says here, be careful for nothing, it does not mean that you have to be careless 
with the things that pertain to your home and your family and your business and your employment and your work of life. That's not what God is saying whatsoever. It doesn't mean to say you have this sort of carefree, couldn't care less attitude. So that's not what the Bible is talking about. You know, the modern day term is some people, they're totally chilled out. Well, I'm not talking about trying to chill you out. And that's not what the Bible is talking about either. God would have us to take good care of the talents that he's put into our hand. Remember the parable that the Lord Jesus told of the different talents that were given out. And the Lord held those responsible for what he had given to them. And God will hold you and I responsible for what he has given to us. So uh, it does not behove any Christian to talk about, uh, well, I couldn't care less. You should care. Or I'm carefree. None of us are carefree. So what is the meaning of this text? Be careful for nothing. I think you'll get the true meaning of this word careful if you put a little hyphen between care and full. So space it out. Be careful for nothing. And if you stretch out the word, it'll give you, I think, a better sense of the meaning of it. <clears throat> In other words, don't allow your life to be full of care. That's what it's really saying. Don't allow your life to be full of care. And I would say that depicts many who say they are the Lord's people. Their life is just full, full of care. We're not to be over anxious about the things of this present time. We're not to be constantly thinking about the things of time and sense. In other words, just being full of care. That's what the, the implication of the text is. Now care comes in many shapes and sizes. And everybody's DNA is different. And uh, you know, we all fall into the trap in this modern day and age of social media. Of measuring ourselves by other people's lives. For example, I am on Facebook for my sins. I am on Facebook. <clears throat> I'm not saying you should be there. I'm just saying I am there. And sometimes I see put, people put up, my son, my daughter came first isn't that great and um, we're all glad they came first but you can be sure they would never put it up if their son or daughter came last and then you're thinking about your son and daughter and they're struggling they're battling with whatever and you're measuring what your family's going through with somebody else's family but they're not telling you the whole picture they're just telling you the bright part of the picture. And they seem to have no care. And you seem to be so careful. So full of care. So don't measure your care. And what you're going through. By somebody else's experience. Because care comes in many shapes and sizes. There are many. And they carry the care of getting. Their whole existence is taken up in getting and in making. And every working hour is utilised to get. Now, brethren and sisters, there's nothing wrong in working hard to get. I'm not saying that, and the Bible is not saying that. 
But I want to say to you tonight, do not desire to have what you dare not ask God to give. Do not desire to have what you dare not ask God to give. Others are preoccupied on the opposite extreme on the care of losing. I stood behind a man in the bank queue one day. And if you knew this man as I knew him, he's a very just ordinary type of individual. And you know, if you're in that bank queue, no matter how hard you try to turn your ears off, you can't really turn your ears off because there's nothing really very private with what's going on in the bank. And this man was so anxious about all of his accounts. And he was so anxious about the amount of interest he had in this account and that account and the other account. And I was just thinking, if I could just get into my current account, I could get away from all of here and you can worry about your accounts later on. He was so anxious about losing not point something of a percent between one account and another account. The care of gain and the care of losing. There are many Christians and they're burdened down with the care of an unknown future. What tomorrow holds? Well, let me say to you, what tomorrow holds is hid from our view. I'm glad it's hid from our view. We've enough just getting through the day, never mind worrying about tomorrow. And all of these cares multiply and they lead and add on to our sorrows. So undue care in reality, I want to just remind you tonight, it's questioning. We heard much today, this morning from the Reverend Wagner, about questioning and doubting the providence of God. Does God care about us? As Christians we can say, absolutely God cares about us. And when we start to fret and be careful about tomorrow, in other words, our heart is just overwhelmed with what's going to happen in the days that lie ahead, then it's as if we're saying, well, God doesn't really care about us anymore. But God can never ignore the needs of his own family. Turn back with me, please, to those words that we've looked at over the past months in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. So it says in verse 25, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can on one cubit unto a stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. What care? When the heart is so full of care, it is, it is no time for devotion. It is no time for trust. A heart that's full of care, I assure you, will not improve where you are. It will not improve your situation. You can't do that. It will not make 
your finances get better. It will not make you grow any taller. It will not take away the worry. A heart full of care is only a further burden to you. So what do we do with our cares? Well, well, the text has the answer. Let's go back to it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. What do we do with our cares? Heaven's antidote against perplexing care is constant prayer. All of the perplexity that's going through your life at the present time, God's answer to it is just constant prayer. This is the uniform teaching of God's word. Constant prayer. Constant prayer. Would you turn back with me to the Psalms? To Psalm 55. Psalm 55 and verse 22. Oh, the psalmist knew exactly what to do. Psalm 55 and verse 22. These lovely well-known words. Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Cast thy burden. Throw it down. Cast it down. Don't carry it. Just cast it down. Put it upon the Lord and he will sustain you. And the New Text, the New Testament exposition of that, of course, is in First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, where it says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Is that not enough, uh, dear brother and sister tonight? If we were to be free from the cares of life, we are to constantly cast those cares upon the Lord. That's constant prayer. A few years ago we watched that wonderful uh, DVD produced by the New Tribes Mission about the the, the pilot that was kidnapped in, in the jungle in South America. And I think we all remember it very much, those of us that were at that weekend, and how at night he would lie under the mosquito net and his, he would be planning how to get to the plane and how to fly it and how to escape. And, and he would be overwhelmed. And, and night by night he just had to cast the same care upon the Lord. He had, the same, he had to pray the same prayer every time his heart was full of anxiety and full of problems. He didn't say, well, I told the Lord once, he doesn't want to hear me again. He just went back again. He just went back again. When I was a little boy, boys and girls, we lived in a big old farmhouse. And every time the wind blew in that farmhouse, it was as if the whole roof was creaking. It was as if those sash windows, they, they were just bouncing in and out like that. And it was scary. And I used to shout out to my mum and dad, are you still there? As if they were going anywhere. And they all, yes, we're still here. That was enough. And then you heard another bump. Are you still there? Yes, that's enough. Are we not like that as adults? We just need the constant reassurance. Yes, I'm there. I'm there. And that's what constant prayer brings us into. It brings us in just to the reassurance. I'm listening. I'm there. Verse 6 emphasizes that this applies to everything. It doesn't matter if your care tonight is small or if it's big, the Lord is interested in it. You know, we wouldn't really tell to too many people the cares and the burdens that are on our hearts. We wouldn't really. And I know the people in Analong too well to know that they would be going around and saying, 
X, Y, Z. No, we, we just we don't do that in mourning anyway, do we? But we can take it to God. We can take it to God in prayer. It's wonderfully illustrated for us in the book of Isaiah. Remember this godly king Hezekiah is surrounded by his enemies in Isaiah chapter 37. And it seems as if the end has come for Judah and for Jerusalem. And what does Hezekiah do? He's surrounded by the enemy and he's hemmed in on every side. And it seems he is defeated. We read that Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up unto the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? He took that letter and all of the issues that are in it and he just, as it were, spread it all before the Lord. And is not what you and I are called to do. Just take the care that you're filled off and constantly just spread it all before the Lord. You can tell the Lord about it. If you make lists, I make lists when I pray. Sometimes it can be very mechanical. We heard yesterday from a the Reverend Wagner that he suffers from forgettery. Well, I think you get to a certain age, forgettery becomes very, very easy for you. So make lists. And it doesn't matter how mechanical it is, you're spreading it before the Lord. Constant prayer. Tell the whole problem to the Lord. Everything. We sang, didn't we? Everything to God in prayer. What is the cure? For perplexing problems, it is constant prayer. Secondly, notice the secret, verse 6, the secret of the cure. We would, I think, profit very, very much so by investigating what is heaven's secrets. In other words, what type of prayer it is that will ease the burden. Verse 6 has the key. It's by prayer and supplication. This is repeated prayer. If you don't get the answer the first time, what do you do? You come back the second time. If you don't get the second time, what do you do? You keep coming back until you get it, until you get the answer. Some people, they pray a prayer and they, well, God didn't answer, so they just walk away. Don't walk away from God, brethren and sisters. Keep praying. We should say if the Lord doesn't give us the answer the first time. It's God's way to encourage us to pray the second time. If you and I got the answers all the first time. How many, would, how many times would we be there the second time? Think of poor Elijah. He's praying for rain. And the whole country was waiting on his intercession. Just to release the drought. And he had to supplicate God. And he, and he went up the mountain. Uh, and he went up the mountain. He sent the messenger up. Nothing. He's praying. And there's nothing happening. Elijah praying. He had prayed and heaven was shut up. And now he was praying that heaven would be opened up. But nothing's happening. So if Elijah's prayer couldn't open up heaven. What about Ian Harris's prayer? But he went, he told the messenger to go back again and again and again. 
Some seven times he had to go back. And even then it was just a little cloud the size of a man's hand. But he had faith to believe that it was going to send a torrent of rain. A a real deluge of rain. And it came. Whatever you do, don't give up in praying. Don't give up in the prayer meeting. I, I fear some of you have given up in the prayer meeting. Don't give up in the prayer meeting. Further... Verse 6 outlines to us that our, our, our prayers should be intelligent. This will ease the burden. We're to make known our requests unto God. Not lovely. We're to make them known. So we have to articulate them. If somebody comes to you and they're asking for something, well, they have to be able to articulate what they're asking. And so we have to be able to articulate what we're asking. Now, of course, we know we don't have to tell God what he already knows. That is a given. But we come to express them. We come to outline them. We come to request them. If it's a family problem, who do you bring that to? I'm glad you have others to confide in and to receive encouragement from. That's good. But what a blessing to take it to God in prayer. If it's a financial burden, it's no less a blessing to bring it to God in prayer. If it's a forgiveness problem, it's no less a blessing to bring it to God in prayer. Forgiveness is a big issue in many lives. Some people can't forgive others. There are some Christians and they just can't forgive others. They can't forgive what was said about them. They can't forgive what was done on them. And they carry a chip on their shoulders all their lives. And I know people in this area and they've been carrying chips on their shoulders all their life and it's been such a hindrance to them in their spiritual development, in fact, in their, in their, in their working lives. Forgiveness is a big issue. The heart needs to be freed of such a burden. But what about the greatest issue of forgiveness? Let me ask you tonight, As you think of the future, and you know that one day, very soon, you have to face Almighty God. How do you face God if your sins have not been forgiven? That's the real issue. How will you face God if your sins are not forgiven? Well, we come back again to gospel basics. Let your requests be made known unto God. Will God not forgive your sin? Yes, he will. But you have to make that request made known unto God. You have to seek him for forgiveness. 1 John 1 and 9 says, If we confess our sins, that is intelligently outlining the situation and asking God to forgive us and to cleanse us from all our sin. Now let me say to you, you don't have to use a rosary. You don't have to use a prayer book. All you have to do is just pray from the heart. God will hear you. To learn the secret of prayer that will bring a cure. There's a little word that's emphasized here. And it is with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. We're to be thankful people. It's not just at harvest time. We're to come with our thanksgivings. We are to be thankful people. We are to learn to praise God. We, we all have something to praise God for. We were singing with the young people on Friday night, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. And we just stopped to think, 
Could all of us just name one mercy that God has given us that day? And all the young people named the mercy that was prevalent, relevant in their life at that time. Could you do it tonight? As you're going out through the door, what's the mercy you're going to praise God for tonight? Thank God for tonight. What would you say going out through the door? What would your answer be? Well, what will your answer be to Almighty God when you're on your knees or, or in your quiet time tonight before you close the day? What will you give your prayers with thanksgiving to Almighty God for? Sometimes we think with nothing to thank God for. Reverend Wagner reminded us here yesterday, we are such a blessed people. We have been so blessed, not just spiritually, but materially, even providentially and in our circumstances, we're so blessed. We have so much to thank and praise Almighty God for. In closing, could I speak to you about the sequel? If you substitute your care with prayer, and if you know how to pray in order, then you can know the peace of God. To me, that's so amazing that I can know the peace of God. Now, of course, that peace of God comes in knowing that my soul has been reconciled with God through the redeeming work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's at the cross where we obtain and receive assurance. I want you to notice that this peace touches the mind and the heart. The understanding. That faculty which belongs to the mind. And the, the emotional, the inclinational faculty which is the heart. The peace of God can calm, can control both our thoughts and our desires. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stead on thee Isaiah 26 and verse 3 because he trusteth in thee perfect peace there is such a thing as peace dear brethren and sisters thou will keep him in perfect peace this, this peace that is spoken of here it's guarded because this is a military term the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And the thought is that the heart and the mind will be guarded as a, as a castle is guarded. And that castle is guarded by the soldiers and our heart and our mind is guarded by the peace of God. This is a world of, of great fear at the present time. Great, great alarmists are right there. But I think it's sweet and it's reassuring to know that we have a peace within that only God can give. It's a peace that passeth, the, the text says, all understanding. All understanding. In, in other words, it's an experience that cannot be sufficiently valued or even duly expressed, but it's a reality. I can't explain it all to you, but it's a reality. Even in the waiting room, even in the consulting room, even in the death room, it's a reality that the child of God can know the peace of God that passeth all understanding. And the mediator of this peace is the Lord Jesus Christ because it all comes to us through him. 
It all comes to us through him. And when you know him, then the Bible tells us further down the passage, the God of peace shall be with you. When you make your wants and requests made known unto God, and then the peace of God which passeth all under mind shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What's verse 9 says? The God of peace shall be with you. Not only will we know his peace, but his presence is with us, step by step, day by day, along the journey. What a, what a promise God gives to us. But what if you're here tonight and you don't know him? What if you don't know Christ as Lord and Master and Saviour? What's your peace dependent on? If your peace is not dependent upon your union and your relationship with Christ, then it's not a peace that will go beyond the grave with you. The only peace that lasts is the peace of God. And I pray tonight, if you know not Christ, that you'll come to know that peace through the speaking blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say again to the believer in the gathering, do not allow your heart to be careful. Full of care. Don't allow that burden to cloud your thinking. There is a remedy. I always think it's good for Christians never to veer away just from the basics. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 is a very wonderful, wonderful text. Keep to it, believer. And the week that lies ahead, not only will the peace of God keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus, but the God of peace, the God of peace shall be with you. May it be so, and may the Lord bless these, these words to all of your hearts and lives.